Well, good morning, fellowship. Uh, it is good to be with you uh, this morning. To those of you that are in the room, uh, I know you didn't expect uh, to, to, for me to be with the online crowd this morning, but I am I'm with the online crowd this morning. Um, I was in a meeting uh, recently and uh, someone in the meeting tested positive for coronavirus and our protocols uh, require quarantine. So uh, I'm with the online crowd today and uh, you know, I got my camo on and my uh, quarantine beard going. Uh, well, we are, we're in a study of Matthew 5, 6, and 7. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. And um, what Rob and I decided, uh, it's been a month or so ago, we, we felt like we need to do a, a mini-series within the Sermon on the Mount on the kingdom of God. And, and here's why. We said, you know, we've got to understand the kingdom of God to understand the Sermon on the Mount. But we would go farther to say that we need to understand the kingdom of God to understand the Bible. And I'm going to go this far, you all. We need to understand the Sermon on the Mount to understand life on this planet. Because only when we grasp the kingdom of God and its pattern through the Bible can we answer the huge questions of life. You know, why am, why am I here? Where did we come from? Where are we going? And how does it all end? Now think about that. Endings matter, don't they? It's, you know, we're, we're living with this. It's not who's uh, leading the vote count while they're being counting. It's, it's who's leading the vote count at the end. There's a lot of football being played. It's not who's winning the game at halftime or the fourth quarter. It's who's, what's the score at the end of the game. Endings really matter. And uh, what we're covering today is the end of the story of the kingdom of God. And what we're going to find, you know, it's not really an ending, is it? Um, it's, it's really a beginning, but we're talking about the, the consummation, the completion of the, the kingdom of God. Now, here's how the, the, the little mini-series has gone. We started with the pattern of the kingdom, and we looked at Genesis to Revelation. How is it the kingdom shows up? What shows up in this way? God's purpose is his people in his place under his rule, enjoying his blessings. And we trace that through the Bible. And then Rob last week picked up not the pattern, but the people of the kingdom. And if you missed that message, may I encourage you to please watch that? Because in that message, Rob uh, shows us that you all are, are um, our fidelity, uh, uh, our allegiance, if you will, in, in life is ultimately not what's in our passport, is it? It's our identity as citizens of the kingdom and, and, and the obligations as citizens of the kingdom that, that it puts upon us and the privileges and the responsibilities as citizens of the kingdom. Uh, if, you're, if, if you're a member at Fellowship, you got an email recently from Rob and uh, he does such a good job of holding this tension because you go, well, well if the kingdom's coming, then I'm just going to be all about that one day and I want to get away from this world to that world. And that's not... Uh, how the Bible has us understand and apply living in the kingdom of God. It's right now, and, and that means investing right now where you are and and then still holding that we're, we're, we've still got the kingdom to come. And Rob said something that I thought was so good. I'm just going to quote it out of his email. He said this, To live as an exile in a place does not mean you disengage from the community nor regard the people around you with disdain. 
it means you hold that place and its people dear to you, but never lose sight of your home country. And remember, Rob used two words, and I'm going to write these down. Uh, he said, we are sojourners and exiles. Sojourners and exiles. Uh, while this isn't home, we don't we live here, but as sojourners and exiles, we don't lose sight of our home country. And, and, and it's those two words, really, that are going to kind of provide the foundation of what I'm going to talk about today about the consummation. As sojourners and exiles, I want you to hold this thought. If you, if you walk away from here this morning and have one thing in your head, it would, it would be this. We're not home yet we're not home yet we're sojourners and exiles and yet as rob reminded us we're looking towards our home but but we hold dearly where we are uh, my hope is that we get such a clear picture of our true home you all that um, it would be so vivid that it moves us, and I think it it, it only you know only when it's that clear are we moved to to hold dear what's in front of us. And in Rob's words, only then do we live with a purposeful distinctiveness, not an aloofness, a purposeful distinctiveness where we are for the good of every neighbor where we are and for all the nations where we are right now. We do that in the here and now because our, our focus, and we've got such a clear picture of what's to come. And that's what I want to talk about, what's to come. We're going to start uh, in Revelation 4. Revelation is that picture of, our, uh, of the end of all things. And I'm going, to move, I'm going to move pretty quick just so you know. Um, uh, but we're going to start in Revelation 4. Let me say a word about Revelation before I go there because I'm going to frustrate some of you. Um, I'm not going to get down in the weeds. We're going to stay up at 30,000 feet. And we're going to trust that, uh, that Revelation is going to unfold itself. And, and it should and it will because the, the title of the book comes from the very first sentence in the book, the Revelation of Jesus Christ. It's the Greek word uh, akopalypsis. Apocalypsis, apocalypse is where we, you know, we, we get that word. And when you think apocalypse, you think of destruction and craziness and things going berserk in the end. But the word means unveiling, just unveiling. It's an opening up. It's a showing. And so the book of Revelation, y'all, is not meant to confuse us. It, it, you know, the original readers didn't get it and go, this is... A, Rubik's cube of words and somebody figure out what that dragon is and what that pit is and what that number is and what the, no it was an unveil it's got unveiling and showing us revealing to us how he will bring all things to an end and it's really think about the storyline um, revelation is is bringing together all the threads that have been flowing through the biblical story 
of his people in his place under his rule, enjoying his blessing. And Revelation brings us all together in completion and fullness and wholeness. So uh, start with Revelation 4. I'm looking at Revelation 4, verse 2, and then verse 11. Revelation 4, John receives a vision, and so we're, we're stepping into this story. And he writes, At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. I'm going to Revelation 4.11. Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. So I want you to note when, you know, as, as God is unveiling the end, the first things he shows us, and I'm going to write this on our chart, and I'm going to write it on the top of the chart, above the whole chart, and I'll tell you why in a moment. God is on his throne. God is on his throne. Why do I write it there and not at the end at uh, the consummation when Jesus returns? Because do you notice the language he uses? He takes us back to to. to creation. You created all things by your will. They exist in creation. He's taking us all the way back to Genesis to say, from Genesis to Revelation, you all, God is on his throne and he alone is worthy of all praise. Now we know things go terribly wrong. Genesis 3, tempted by the serpent, excuse me, humanity rebels against God and his kingdom. And then so here now where we are in Revelation, we learn we're learning now at the end what, what comes of the serpent and all his minions, you know, what, what comes of all that? Well, this is fascinating. Stick with me. We've got to jump to the end of Revelation because that's where we'll spend most of our time. So go to Revelation chapter 17, Revelation 17, verses 3 to 5, and then we'll read verse 18. You know, what happens to this serpent from all the way back in Genesis? Revelation 17, 3 to 5. And he carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names. It had seven heads and ten horns. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and jewels and pearls, holding in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the impurities of her sexual immorality. And on her forehead was written a name of mystery, Babylon the Great mother of prostitutes and of earth's abominations. Verse 18. And the woman that you saw is the great city that has dominion over the kings of the earth. You hear that kingly language, dominion over kings. Well, the, the, the woman on the beast is identified. She has a name, Babylon the Great. Verse 18 says she's the great city has dominion over kings of the earth. Let's, that's where I'm saying don't get lost in the weeds, uh, you all. Don't try, start trying to draw a picture of a woman on a beast and heads and things. Let's, let's let the language speak to us and unveil itself. Uh, let's follow the clue of her name, Babylon. Babylon. What does that sound like? Sounds like Babel, which takes us all the way back to Genesis chapter 11, an event there where Humanity built a tower. You, you know the story, Genesis 11. And I want to put that on our chart. That humanity gathered, this is fallen humanity gathered to build this tower. And y'all, it was at a place, I'm going to put it inside here, a place called 
Babel, from where we get Babylon. Um, it's important to understand that, you know, these are the fallen children of Adam and Eve. And so they're carrying, in, in essence, the, the rebellion of, of their mom and dad, Adam and Eve, uh, to, to its fullest expression. And let me unpack this a little bit. When Adam and Eve ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, it's not that they ate and, and now they go, oh, now I know good from evil. I know evil, bad from good. That rebellion, what was under that rebellion was not just they now know, it's we will now determine for ourselves what is good and what is evil. God, we don't need you to tell us. We will be the arbiter of what is bad and what is good. You see that? That's the root of that rebellion. So now imagine all of humanity gathered and in, in as, as I've got it drawn here, building a tower to the heavens, right? Uh, so that uh, I'm going to use these words. They're basically saying, we will determine good and evil ourselves. We decide what's good and what's evil. Y'all, what, what's, what's behind that? What's behind humanity doing that? And that's where I want to remind you. You remember death and friends? That, that, that was the result of the fall. And so death, lying, injustice, cruelty, murder, all evils unleashed, death and his friends, in humanity. And so de it's death and his friends. I'm putting an arrow up to the Tower of Babel. It's death and his friends who are behind this. It's, you know, humanity's their vehicle to express their rebellion, right? Of Satan saying, no, I decide what's good and what's wrong, what's evil and what's righteous. And so I'm going to put here death and friends. You know what? For the history of the world, all the way until Jesus comes back, they continue to exert their influence such that, can I say this, when we're looking at Revelation and we see this woman named Babel, Babylon, um, it represents all of the world forces of darkness arrayed against God. That's, that's what this image of this woman, Babylon the Great, comes to symbolize. And we see this all through the Bible. Yes, there's a literal Babylon. Yes, yes, yes. But it becomes in the Bible symbolic of all world forces arrayed against God. And so this is where in the consummation I have Jesus comes down, comes back, and what happens to death and friends? Uh, how's Jesus going to deal with this, 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 this world power? Um, okay, so we looked at death and his friends. All, you know, it this word Babylon took us all the way back to Babel. So death and his friends, what's going to happen to them at the end of the story? So now let's go to Revelation 18, verses 1 and 2. John says, After this I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was made bright with his glory. 
And he called out with a mighty voice, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable beast. Uh, fallen, fallen. God's judgment is coming upon her. She's being removed, fallen, taken off her high pedestal, her place of influence. But notice, not destroyed. She's been destroyed. No, she's fallen. There's a sense to which death and his friends are removed. They are removed. And where are they removed to? That's chapter 20, verse 14. Death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And so I've drawn that to say, now death and friends are in the lake of fire. We might say it like this. And again, I, I want to be, you know, the text is showing us um, they're removed. Um, they are, if I could use a metaphor, a, a word we know right now, they are eternally quarantined to a place that that never ends. But it is that place that holy justice has determined is the just judgment upon them. They are, they are quarantined there never to influence, you know, our, in our drawing here, the God's kingdom in its consummation. They, they will never influence it again in a lake of fire. Well, what about the, the new creation in our chart? You know, God's people in God's place under God's rule and enjoying God's blessings. Let's start with Revelation 21, 1 to 5. John says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of the heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. You hear the kingdom language. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. and Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. So death and friends have no part in the holy city, in the kingdom to come, no death, no mourning, no crying, no pain, all things made new, all things as they were meant to be. And may I say this, and I'm going to write this underneath here, this kingdom, the kingdom, whereas it was always incomplete and flawed, it is complete, it is full, it is final. It is for ever, forever. You know, it was the prophet Ezekiel that um, first described the, the dimensions of the, the kingdom coming down, the New Jerusalem coming down. 
And the dimensions that Ezekiel described in his prophecy describe a cube, a, you know, a three-dimensional square. Um, and it's very specific, you know, when we, when we measure this out, it's, 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 a, it's a cube that's 1,500 miles wide, 1,500 miles deep, and 1,500 miles tall. But rather than going, this cube, okay, this cube comes down and sits on the earth, which is how some could envision it. But rather than trying to get that picture in our head, let's, let's let Revelation and the images he's using and the words used um, unveil the story, which means go back to the story. Listen to Revelation 21, verse 3. In the Greek, here's what it says in Revelation 21, 3. It, it says, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with man, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his. The tabernacle of God, it's like the, the New Jerusalem is, is coming down, boom, the tabernacle of God is with man. Where does that take us in the story? How do, where, you go, okay, what is, tab, what is the tabernacle? Where does that fit in the story? Well, let's go back. Uh, under Abraham, God instructed him to build a tabernacle, and it was a big rectangular structure. And the front part was where everyone could gather, people could gather, the Jews. But there was a part in the, in the back that was called the Holy of Holies. And the tabernacle was where God would meet with his people. Because the people were sinful, uh, they couldn't meet directly with God. God had to have a mediator, the high priest. It had to be bloodshed to pay for the sins of, of the people before the people could meet with God. And uh, think about after David, King Solomon built the temple, which is you know, the permanent tabernacle, so to speak. He built it according to the design of the tabernacle. People could meet in the front part, but there's a section in the back that was the Holy of Holies where God met with the high priest once a year. I want you to listen to the language of Jesus when he came. This is John 1.14, the language of John describing Jesus. He says, the word, we know that's Jesus, became flesh and tabernacled among us. So Jesus comes as the as the, 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 the tabernacle, the back part, the holy of holies, where God can meet with man. And you know when Jesus came that there was a veil that separated the area where others could could be from the holy of holies, and that veil was torn from top to bottom, i.e. God came down to tear open the veil so that all could come in to the holy of holies and be in the presence of God. The tabernacle, it is the, it's the place where God met his people. Um, and, 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 and here's the thing about the tabernacle, and, and I've, said, I've drawn it here, it's like one, one time a year, there was room for one person after the shedding of the blood of the lamb for that one person to, to meet with God. It was the high priest. And I've drawn this for us here because I, I, I wanna note that 
It's in the Holy of Holies where the meeting occurs. And let me tell you, the Holy of Holies, you all, the dimensions are a cube, a three-dimensional square, such that I want to suggest that what Ezekiel is describing and what John is describing here is that when Jesus returns to set all things right, then the whole world is now the holy of holies. The whole world. In other words, you know, God dwells with his people and it's not that you have to go to the temple to meet with God. No, God's full presence is right. You're in God's full presence everywhere you are and you can be in God's full presence everywhere you are because you are clothed in the righteousness of Christ and his blood has forgiven you of all your sins. The whole earth. This, think of it this way. It, uh, Moses said this in Numbers. He said, all the earth will be filled with the glory of God. Isaiah prophesied, the whole earth is full of his glory. And Habakkuk declared, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of, his, of the glory of the Lord as waters cover the sea. So the, how, how is it that the whole earth is filled with God's glory? Because when the new heaven and the new earth come, the whole earth is full of God's glory. And so I write glory above the consummation. Last verse, Revelation 22, 1 to 5. Then the angel of the Lord showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any accursed, anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, his name will be on their foreheads and night will be no more. They will need no lamp of light or sun for the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. They will reign forever and ever. The they is you and me, all who've placed their faith in Christ. And so I put here at the consummation, co-reign, co-rule the whole world. And when I write that, co-reign and co-rule the world, I hope in your mind you go, oh, wait, that, oh, oh, draw the arrow back. Yes, co-reign and co-rule all of creation. You all, what God intended from the very beginning, he brings to completion in the end. A humanity co-reigning and co-ruling all of creation, the consummation, God's people in God's place under God's rule, enjoying God's blessing, co-reigning and co-ruling all of creation.
you remember speaking of creation, there was in creation, not just the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but there was a tree, there's the tree of life. Life of God, you, you, you know, you, you eat from this tree, you're, you, you have life, God's life embodied in this tree. When you trace the story of God's kingdom, we find another tree and it's here on the cross. Don't miss that Jesus was nailed to a tree. And then as we just read here in the consummation, oh my, there, it's, it's there. <laughs> the tree of life is in the consummation. And did you notice here as well, there's water. It's a river of life flowing here in the new heavens and new earth which takes us all the way back, if you will, to the garden where there was water flowing in the garden, which takes us then to the cross for Jesus himself. What did Jesus say? I am living water. Oh, all these symbols. Because it's tying together one story brought to completion at the consummation. Well, think about, think about it this way. Back here when the kingdom is given creation, the kingdom is given. It was given that God, so that we would, we would see God's glory, see God's glory would be revealed in the kingdom given. Oh, but then the kingdom was lost. And we've now traced it from Genesis to the consummation. And what John wants us to see is that that which God had given, he brings, I'm drawing this all the way to, he brings it to completion, does he not? Even when it seemed like it, it wouldn't, couldn't come, wouldn't come to completion. No, God brings it to completion such that we see, I'm going to add something to this glory on the end. We see God's greater glory. So we go from glory to greater glory. How, how, how can that be? Well, I can only tell you what the Bible points to, and that's all that matters, isn't it? The Bible, everything points to the cross of Jesus. Everything points to the Son and His work on the cross. Such that God is more fully glorified in this redeemed world and humanity than had the world never fallen, had humanity never fallen. How do we get our heads around? I don't know how to get around it other than to say, in Jesus, God's mercy and grace, the fullness of God's character, he exalts the Son to the highest place by his suffering and death such that God's character and glory is more fully revealed, greater glory. 
in this story of redemption. Wow. Like, I gotta take a breath. That's what awaits us. And I say it awaits us, why? Because, what did I say at the beginning I want you to remember? We're not home yet. We're in the now and not yet, you all, but we're not home yet. So, so I want you to hold that truth, but I want you to hold a second truth. So I'm actually gonna sneak this in on you and say, if you remember two things, remember these two things. Uh, we're not home yet and We're almost home. We're not home yet, and we're almost home. Each of us is almost home. Jesus calls these days you know, the last days. The last days. History is coming to a close. It's been coming to a close since Jesus has returned, since Jesus came the first time. And each of us is almost home. Can I say this in another way? You know, it's simply ignorance or pride uh, to think that uh, our tomorrow is guaranteed. You know, like I'm not almost, you know, you, you could go, you know, I got a 95-year-old grandfather. He's almost home. I'm telling you, he's close. But then to us to think, well, I'm 30 or 40 or 50 or even 60. I'm not almost home. No, no, no. That's, you know, the biblical view is that we're always almost home. A child in the womb, nine days after conception, is almost home. In the same way that the 95-year-old grandfather is almost home. Why? Because God numbers our days before there's one. And we don't know when that number is up. We don't, uh, you know, you could be home this afternoon. I mean, home, home this afternoon. Each of us from a biblical worldview is almost home from the moment of conception. I recently uh, officiated a memorial for Ken Crebley. Ken is a member of our body, Ken and Mary Jane. Ken had diagnosed with stage four can uh, liver cancer about 18 months ago, passed away uh, just recently. He was 63 years old. Uh, we're gonna have a memorial for, many, for a friend of ours, a member of our body, Mike Smith, longtime member. Uh, Mike passed away, he was 49. We'll have a memorial for him on the 21st. Here's how I began Ken's memorial. And I do this at, at most memorials I do. I just wanna to read to you how, how I would frame this. I wrote, Ken, and, I, and I spoke, Ken entered, the, entered this world on Sunday, August 4th, 1957. He departed this world on Tuesday, November 3rd, 2020. Ken was 63 and he graced this planet for 23,102 days. No doubt some of those days when lived seemed to go on forever. But standing here on this side of his death, those days feel as if they came and went like a vapor. And indeed they did, for the writer of Ecclesiastes tells us life is but a mere breath. That mist that hangs on a cold morning and then it's gone. Which tells us that life is not to be measured by the clock but by the way it is lived. Y'all, we live in the now and the not yet of the kingdom. The kingdom has arrived for Jesus has come. But the kingdom is still to come 
because Jesus is coming back one day to set all things right. When he comes, he won't come as a baby in a manger, but as a conquering king, and he will set all things right forever. So the question is, in the now and the not yet of the kingdom where we live, how then shall we live? Borrowing from Francis Schaeffer. How then shall we live? Well, according to Jesus, as citizens of his kingdom, we're to live each day for his kingdom. And, and what that means is it means making the kingdom of God tangible and concrete and real in every decision we make right now in the here and now and the now and the not yet. Every resource we possess, our time, talent, and treasure invested, stewarded for his kingdom. You know, I found it fascinating during the pandemic and many of you already know this, you know, Lowe's, Home Depot, any, any do-it-yourself operation, they've had record sales. Y'all, we've spent billions and billions on, on home improvement projects since the pandemic to make our homes more comfortable, livable, convenient, however, however we want to do that. And can I say this? I'm one of them. I've done that. You know, I'm a part of this. So I'm not throwing you under the bus. I'm throwing myself out there to say this is an interest. This just fascinates me that we've uh, invested a lot in home, haven't we? And it's not, don't hear me say it's not all wrong. But as I've reflected on it, I just, I had this thought, you know, when Jesus left the planet, he told his disciples, go into all the world and tell the whole world about my kingdom, how to enter my kingdom, how to live in my kingdom, because um, I'm coming back soon. And, and you know what those early followers, how they lived their life, they sold homes and property and possessions in order to fund the extension of God's kingdom on the earth. They knew, here's what, we're not home yet. Let's invest in the kingdom to come in the place we are now. And they also knew that second thing. We're almost home. Let's get going. Let's do it now. We're almost home. I'd like those in the room to stand, please. For our benediction, I'd like uh, for the story of the kingdom to be on the screen. Remind us we're, we're in the story, the kingdom of God. You know, if we boiled all these words and images and arrows and, you know, this down to its irreducible minimum, I don't think there's a better summary than the very last sentences of the Bible. And I leave you with these from the pen of John. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. John writes, Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all forever and ever. Amen. God bless.